The Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Annex Wealth Management is a proud member of the Barron's Top Advisor List and the Financial Times Top 300. Know the difference. It's Team Tech Trust. And good morning, Southwest Florida. This is the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. It is Sunday. It's May 30th. It is a Memorial Day weekend. My name is Danny Clayton. Dave Spano on the road. Derek Felsky is our Chief Investment Officer. Good morning to you. Good morning, Danny. Interesting week last week. Let's cover it in the Week in Review. Uh, certainly. Um, the markets actually had a very solid week. The uh, Dow and the S&P up about 2% for the week. Uh, we've off to a very strong start this year. The bond market was well-behaved. Interest rates remained about flat. And international markets continued their advance. We're inches away from it being June. There's the old saying, sell in May and go away. Did we see any evidence that that was happening? Well, I mean, we certainly didn't see it in May. May turned out to be a pretty solid month for the broader averages. But historically, the real peak in the market tends to be in in mid-July. In other words, sell in mid-July and go away. Because generally speaking, uh, during the summer months, the markets go sideways. They consolidate. A lot of the big players go away on vacation and the rest. Uh, That may prove to be different this year, but there is some truth to that statement. And it's interesting you say that because they used to go away, but that that was like long time ago, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. if anything that we've seen in the last year is you can operate pretty much from anywhere. That's that's totally true, and I think that will be the case as well. Um, June is the second worst performing month of the year over the last 20 years, followed by September. You've been outside. I've been outside. We've both been in gatherings. I can just feel it. People are so ready to do things. Do you think that enthusiasm in general is also trickling into the market? It's certainly, by many, many stretches, it's recovering. No, it absolutely is. I think people did, the market did anticipate the improvement. I mean, after all, we did shut down the economy by our own volition. It wasn't, the weakness we saw last year wasn't due to excesses. It was really due to the shutdown. And now as we reopen in a gradual fashion, you're starting to see improving economic number, much better corporate profits, more enthusiasm on the parts of consumers, and a lot of potential pent-up demand. So there's reason to be optimistic about the economy. The question is, will the stock market reflect that? And there's stimulus upon stimulus upon stimulus. Right. We heard on Friday about Joe Biden's $6 trillion uh, budget proposal. Uh, They're also talking about potentially raising capital gains taxes down the road, but that's a debate for another day. But generally speaking, fiscal stimulus continues to feed into the markets. In fact, much of the stimulus that's already been legislated has yet to work, work its way through. When you finished 18 holes and you're kind of relaxing with some people at the club, how much talk is there on the possibility of or at least what's going to happen with taxes? Well, I, th- I think people reconcile the fact that we will have to raise taxes at some point. I mean, we've put an, an additional trillions of dollars on the deficit. The question is how pervasive it will be. I mean, the Biden administration claims that no one who makes less than $400,000 a year will see an increase in taxes. And that's probably true, at least initially. The question is, how are we going to get there? And the Republicans are made steadfast that they do not want to see a repeal of the 2017 Trump tax cuts. You and Dave Spano have often spoken about Main Street 
versus Wall Street. What exactly does that mean for investors? Well, I think what it means is, you know, in, in the prior administration, uh, Trump used to always talk about the stock market and how well it had performed and so on, sort of as a benchmark of his uh, policies. And what we're seeing this time, I think, is Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, uh, Jerome Powell and Biden talk a lot about um, wage growth and getting getting people's incomes up to a better level to close the wealth gap, if you will. Because remember, most investors don't have as much money in the equity market and the housing market as, as the middle class, right? I mean, the middle class does, isn't exposed to that, so they're not benefiting as much. Uh, so our belief has been that the Fed and the Treasury want this economy to run hot in order to see wage growth to close that gap. There's a thing called Fed speak, and we've, we're up on a break, but it being a follower versus a leader? Well, generally speaking, the Federal Reserve is, gets its directive from the bond market. While they talk about not raising rates until 2022, 2023, and that they haven't even begin to talk about thinking about tapering, uh, the bond market typically uh, forces their hand and ultimately sees the data that they will react to. Dirk Felsker, Chief Investment Officer, still to come in the show. We're going to talk about spending and retirement. If you plan properly, it is a delight. Also, does it really take over 700 hours to settle an estate? Our estate planning attorney is going to talk about that. Remember, we take care of estates as well. One team means investment and retirement planning, tax planning and estate planning. It all starts at AnnexWealth.com. Just click the Get Started button. Back in a bit on the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. It starts with a call. With one call, you can start seeing your future more clearly. If your financial picture is cloudy because you're getting conflicting tax, investment, and estate planning advice, help is a call or a click away. Annex Wealth Management's team works to get your investment plan in line with your tax plan and your estate plan. Build confidence with one team working to create one comprehensive plan as a fee-only fiduciary. Annex Wealth Management. One team, one plan, one fee. AnnexWealth.com. Custom-tailored investment and retirement planning from a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. This is the Annex Wealth Management Show. This is a team segment. Annex is made up of in-house subject matter experts, investments, planning, taxes, estates, and a whole lot more. We have two teams represented here. Dan Phillips is wealth manager, CFP, CDFA, and potential mixed martial artist. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Danny. Randy Winkler, a manager, financial planning, and a CFP and a home brewer now. Welcome back. Thanks, Danny. How's the beer? It was awful. We're going to talk about getting the number right when it comes to spending and retirement. What's the right way to determine that number, and how can overspending and underspending be prevented? Dan, when does that number usually emerge in the process for our clients? When people first come in, no matter where they are relative to retirement, they kind of want to see if they're on track. So if it's really before retirement, we have to do some assumptions based on what they're currently spending. But really, it's the closer they get to retirement. So it's within that spitting distance, you know, when they've got that date in mind. So it could be two years out, one year out, or it could just be pending. What we like to do is take that number that they're currently spending back into that number and then separate it out between the expenditures that they have to have have their living expenses and what they think they want to do extra in retirement. If you understand that your have-tos are met, you're okay. Randy, you're our self-proclaimed spreadsheet geek. Does the number jump out at you? 
Well, what we very often see somebody who comes in for the first time that we haven't worked with, they really have no idea what they're spending, but they think they do. Very common we'll see where somebody's take-home pay is uh, at, for a family is, say, 250000 and they think they're spending fifty. So we say, are you saving two hundred? No, no, it's all gone. So we have to work with them to determine what that number is because it's probably the most important number of the entire financial plan. It's kind of the fuel. If you don't have enough fuel to get where you want to go, you're going to run out of gas. Deanne, have you seen the number being a surprise for most? Oh, definitely. It is a surprise. You know, sometimes for some people, that B word budgeting is kind of a dirty word. And we get people that say, I have never thought about a budget in my life. Remember, when we go into retirement, we're doing a seismic psychological change from putting money away from ourselves to tapping into that money and spending it. And that can be daunting for some people. So people tend to have a couple of different reactions. And Randy, what I see sometimes is people getting scared to tap into that at all. You know, they think, no, I, I, I can't spend any of that. And so they find themselves really scrimping and saving and really not enjoying the beginning of their retirement or the reverse. They feel like, woohoo, I've got this cash flow now. And it surprises them how much they end up spending during that honeymoon period of retirement. We see both all the time. The first one, it's like when you're a really good saver, the muscle for spending atrophies. You can't do it. We right. have some clients that we have to say, spend some money. You know, you know, There's a saying, you'll never see a U-Haul getting pulled behind a hearse. You're not going to win the prize for dying with the most assets. Now, if you have legacy goals, we work with that. But for a lot of people, it's like, hey, you can spend money. You've dedicated your whole life to this process. You've built up a nice nest egg. Let's enjoy it. So, Randy, with our plans, do we usually recommend a yearly or a monthly spend number? Oh, that's a great question, Danny. We like to see yearly because it smooths out some of the bumps. You know, a lot of people are shocked that when December rolls around and they have Christmas expenses because it's a, it's a different expense than you have during the rest of the year. You know, you got your vacation in summer. You might have insurance premiums that come up. So it's good to take a look at a monthly basis, but you want to annualize that to uh, take into account the things that only happen once a year. Deanne, we talked about people tending to spend a little bit past reasonable expectations. How often do you see that? At the beginning, during that what we call honeymoon period, right at the beginning of retirement, we see it a lot. People underassume their spending for eating, drinking, and being merry. You know, all of a sudden, you're not working anymore, and you have time to spend with, if you're part of a couple, your significant other, or with friends, with family. And we tend to do that through dining out, going out, entertaining, and that costs money. So people often will come back and say, wow, I had no idea I was spending that much on entertainment. Now, that is discretionary expenditure. So that's kind of a muscle you can flex and, and you know, pull back on a little bit too. When you're doing the go-go part of retirement though, mm -hmm. I mean, people tend to, they want to go-go and sometimes they cost money. Well, they do and that's okay. So Danny, right, what you're referring to are the go-go years, the first kind of decade almost really in retirement and then the slow-go years, right, that transition as we age and then the no-go years. But really in terms of spending, we don't lighten up on the spending as we age because if we think about it, healthcare expenditures could be a little bit more during that time period. Randy, you started to touch on it, but is it possible to underspend in retirement? Oh, definitely. Definitely. A lot of people have been saving their whole lives and they don't know how to spend and they don't know what's a safe number. So for someone who's just looking at the portfolio, you've got a million dollars, you have $10 million. How much of that can you spend? It's kind of an unknown unless you have a financial plan. With a financial plan and with all of the other tools we have, we can say, okay, you can spend X amount of dollars per year, and it's going to be sustainable long term. And then we can take a look at that, which side of it are they on? If we say, hey, 75000 is a sustainable spending number for you, and you're spending $100, you are probably looking at a pay cut. If you're spending 50 you just got to raise. You no, know, I remember sitting with people saying, 
Mrs. Smith, you're a millionaire. You know, it's it just can't sink into some people because in certain generations, there's this fear of being a burden. You know, there's this fear of running out of money. And so that is larger sometimes and looms larger than getting our arms around the little spends, which is why it's an important exercise to look at a spreadsheet, to kind of sit down with a planner, to separate out those expenditures, make sure that your have-to bucket is filled so that you know your day-to-day expenditures and retirement are taken care of no matter what the market does. They're not tied to the stock market going crazy, right? And so then you can carve out those extra discretionary expenditures. And we as planners can encourage a little bit more spending. A lot of people, when they're in their working years, they know exactly what's coming in. They've got their paycheck and that's what they're spending. When you get to retirement, they're taking money out of their portfolio. It's not as easy to say, hey, I get X amount of dollars. You're making a decision on what you take and it's affected by taxes. When you start Social Security, you have to pay for Medicare. There's a whole bunch of other things that factor in there, but we can come to you and tell you this is the number that works for you. It's very challenging to do, but with the tools we have, we do that every day. Seems the moral of the story is get a plan, get that number, and stick to that number and work with a strong financial planning partner who is a fiduciary and whose only goal is to help you succeed. That's what we do here. Deanne, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Randy, back to your spreadsheets. Happy to get back to them. We'll be right back. This is the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Here's an understatement. The last 12 months have been a roller coaster, right? Because of the pandemic, most Americans have increased their focus on investment and retirement planning. But what if you haven't taken that all-important first step? Annex Wealth Management can help. We'll create a solid plan for you that includes investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. It's time to take us up on that free portfolio review. AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Know the difference with a fee-only fiduciary. That's Annex Wealth Management. Planning and investment insight from a fee-only fiduciary. And we put that in writing. This is the Annex Wealth Management Show. At Annex, we do holistic planning. And maybe that sounds a little new age, but it's not. Let's try the word comprehensive. Clients receive investment and retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning services. And that's where our next guest comes in. Welcome back to the show. Estate planning attorney, Annex Wealth Management, Joe Martin. Hey, Joe. Thanks, Danny. Good to be here. Got to tell you, I read recently it takes an average of 570 hours to settle an estate. I was shocked. That is a big number. That is a big number, and I don't know that that's completely accurate. That might be a little on the high end, but it really depends on the complexity of that estate and the asset mix that may be being passed on to the next generation. You said it, the more valuable the estate, the maybe the longer it takes to settle. And again, this was a company that kind of peddles this service. So maybe they're on the high end to kind of scare people. But settling estate, review me on this, it falls to the executor, right? It, it does when we're talking about probate and using a will, okay? So that's when a quote-unquote executor or a personal representative, if someone has a revocable trust as part of their estate plan, that duty would fall onto a trustee. In addition, sometimes there isn't one of those people. If everything went through beneficiary designations, it's on the beneficiaries to contact and file the claim forms and all those things. So it can really be divided among a variety of different people that have to quote unquote settle the estate. I learned that firsthand, right? And you kind of helped me through that. My dad's estate was set up in a beneficiary manner, but still there were a couple things that we needed some help on. Thank you, Annex Wealth Management and Joe Martin. What is the job of the executor? 
there's a couple core things that that executor needs to do. Number one is they have to safeguard all of those assets and that property for the benefit of the beneficiaries. Okay, so that means you have to figure out what are all the assets, what are they worth, what do we do with them? You come across situations where the executor isn't necessarily a beneficiary. It might be someone else or a corporate individual that's really there to do what's in the best interest of the family. And so sometimes that executor might have some conflicts of interest as a beneficiary and an executor. And you want to make sure you're finding a good person to do that. It's funny you bring that up. And we talked about this on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel. There's a playlist of 20 videos dedicated to estate planning. And it is worth a visit. We have one that I nicknamed, should your brother-in-law Bob be your executor? Spoiler alert, I think we determined he should not be. I agree with you on that one. I think we did in that segment determine that mm, maybe Bob's not the right choice. We're talking about the hours and the work. Maybe these people have full-time jobs. They're grieving as well if they're a loved one. 570 hours, as you said, is a lot, but 57 hours is a lot. What makes that number climb? It really depends on the complexity of the assets, right? If you've got a couple of bank accounts, you know, and maybe an annuity or, or something like that, it's going to be fast and easy. But if you have a house or a piece of real estate, it's going to need to be valued. It's going to need to be cleaned out. Let's think about just how long would it take you to clean out your parents' house? That could be 57 hours in and of itself. If they've been hoarders or they've collected things over the years, there are services you can hire to help do a lot of these things. But you are still the responsible party as that executor that needs to coordinate and manage all of that. Are executors compensated? They certainly can be. In the state of Wisconsin, a personal representative is allowed to take a percentage fee based on the value of the assets that are going through the probate process. So they can take a fee and be compensated to do that. It's taxable income to them and it has to be reported, but they can be compensated. So having a well-crafted estate plan, that should be the goal. Let's do estate planning 101. Before you get into the specifics of like assets, you really do need a conversation with the person, right? You do, right? It used to be that people would feel honored. Oh, you've named me as your executor or your trustee. That might not necessarily be the honor that you think it is. With it comes a lot of work, as we've talked about today. So you want to make sure that the person that you're naming, A, is capable, that they are going to have the time and maybe the expertise to be able to handle finances and manage things like that. You want to be careful about who that is. And that's really, really important because you also want to make sure you're telling them that you've named them in that role. I've talked to many of our clients who they didn't even know they were named in an estate plan to be an executor. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I don't know anything about this person's finances. I don't even know where to start. That makes the process hard too. How granular should it be? I mean, there are fights you hear season ticket fights, even like cherished rings or something. That's a good idea to define that stuff, but that could be exhausting. At the very least, the pre-conversation would maybe prevent some nasty fights. It can. So I always tell people that communication of the estate plan is a critical element in the process. It's usually the last piece that's done, and it doesn't necessarily need to talk about the finances that are, are involved, but you want to talk to them about the overall plan and the strategy of the estate. That conversation allows you to head off some of those battles. But as we all know, when someone passes away and there's money involved, people can get a little crazy. I, I've seen awful situations. To your point, the Packer tickets, right? I've seen three grown men fight over mom's handwritten recipe cards. You can't predict that. You can't put that into the estate plan because you have no idea, right? So you can do as much planning as you can, but 
sometimes there are just going to be issues that crop up that you can't pre-plan for. But bottom line, get a plan prior to passing that's going to cut down on the time, the energy, and the cost of settling that estate. Absolutely, absolutely. Because what happens is, is if you don't have a plan, then nobody's really in charge. And so then it becomes who's going to take responsibility to do all of these things because somebody's going to need to step up. And if there's liabilities involved, it very well could be a creditor that's going to step in and deal with this. And that's probably the worst case scenario that you could have. Annex Wealth Management, we do investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and as you just heard, lots of detail with estate planning. That's what we do. Start at AnnexWealth.com. Jill Martin, estate planning attorney. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. This is the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. It starts with a call. With one call, you can start seeing your future more clearly. If your financial picture is cloudy because you're getting conflicting tax, investment, and estate planning advice, help is a call or a click away. Annex Wealth Management's team works to get your investment plan in line with your tax plan and your estate plan. Build confidence with one team working to create one comprehensive plan as a fee-only fiduciary. Annex Wealth Management. One team, one plan, one fee. AnnexWealth.com. Custom-tailored investment and retirement planning from a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. This is the Annex Wealth Management Show. Website, AnnexWealth.com. So far in the show, we talked about spending retirement and also... Does it really take 700 hours to settle an estate? If you came in late during that, this show will be on the Annex Wealth Management Spotify account at 9 o'clock this morning. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is our chief investment officer. In our first segment, we were talking a little bit about just what's been going on in the market. Let's talk about the progress of the labor market. Yeah, I mean, the labor market's obviously doing a lot better. At last count, we were about 8 million jobs short from where we were pre-pandemic. Roughly a quarter of those are probably folks that are actually receiving more money and unemployment benefits uh, than they would be making work, going back to work. So that's been a a begrudged number. But generally speaking, the labor market is improving. In fact, uh, this past week, we had a jobless claims number that came in better than expected, was actually at the lowest level since the onset of the pandemic. So definitely the labor market is improving. And that is something the Fed is talking about. They're talking about the level. So they're looking at what was the level of employment uh, before the pandemic and what is it currently. And as they like to say, they're going to be data dependent. So they're watching that number very closely. In addition, this week, we saw consumer confidence still remains pretty strong currently, although people's expectations of the future has diminished a little bit. Uh, We saw a miss on durable goods orders, but that was due largely to uh, uh, some transportation issues. Transportation is often taken out because it's so volatile. And then finally, uh, Q1 GDP remained unchanged at 6.4%. But Q2 GDP currently, Danny, is they're looking at about 10%, so the economy still remains very strong. And and we expect that to ultimately lead to higher corporate profits and another great earnings season for corporate America. And we were delighted with that 6.4, the 10, even better, obviously. Well, again, we're comparing against an economy that was partially shut down in the first quarter and completely shut down in the second quarter. So these are very low bars. But again, when when you think about the Fed, think about data dependent, because the bond market's going to see that data just as they do. And that's what's going to drive long-term interest rates, which will ultimately force the Fed at some point to consider tightening and or shifting their bond purchases accordingly. How about the inflation issue? That still has not gone away. 
away and is not going to go away. No, I don't think it is. I mean, they, the Fed thinks that some of these increases in prices are temporary. You know, for example, uh, you know, rental cars, very expensive relative to where they were a year ago levels, hotel reservation prices higher, uh, transportation prices on airlines a little bit higher. But as capacity comes on and the economy normalizes and more and more people go back to work, we do expect that to normalize. The wild card is what will be the impact overseas, because those economies, with the exception of China, are lagging behind us. They were slower to get the vaccines out in the UK, but they're starting to see some improvement. India remains a challenge and portions of Asia as well. We've heard plenty of good news. Is it priced in? I think it is to a degree. I mean, I'd be a fool to say that after the advance we saw from March 23rd and into this year, that some of the good news hasn't already been discounted, which is one of the reasons we meet as an investment committee every week, because the relative valuations certainly are not as attractive as they were last time. And higher inflation does have a negative effect on earnings multiples, which can be a headwind towards further stock appreciation. Talk a little bit about near-term seasonality. The summer months tend to be slow. Sell and may and go away is an adage. But generally speaking, the stock market does the bulk of its upside during the fall and winter months when people are going back to work. Uh, they're getting their bonuses. They're thinking ahead and that sort of thing. Whereas in the summer months, people tend to focus on other things. Less than a minute left, but let's. we've talked an awful lot about stocks. How about fixed income? Well, I think fixed income, you know, a lot of people think of bonds as being monolithic. You know, they all move in the same directions, but there's some some fixed income issues that move with interest rates and others that don't and with inflationary expectations. So to the degree that you have a bond portfolio, you really need to take a look at it and see what your what your upside and downside risks are with a, whether in a rising rate environment. There are certain fixed income instruments like bank loans, uh, preferred stocks, floating rate that actually hold up much better in a rising rate environment and do provide the portfolio stabilization that fit, fixed income offers a balanced portfolio. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. This is the Memorial Day weekend. It's easy to say happy Memorial Day weekend. We just want to recognize what this weekend and what really tomorrow means, which is thinking about and honoring those lost in service for their country. Derek Felsky, appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. We'll be back next week. This is the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. The Annex Wealth Management Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation.